Well, good evening. evening. Let's try that again. Good evening. evening. Now, if you've ever heard me preach before, you know the more you respond, the more that you say amen, the more you laugh, what? The faster I go. Okay. So if you don't want to get out of around midnight, what do you got to do? All right. Well, this ain't going to work. I'll do that much right now. Let's get rid of this. Okay. Nothing like a little technical difficulties. All right. There we go. So let's try that again. So the more you say amen, the quicker you laugh, or more you laugh, or whatever, the quicker I'll go, all right? So uh, I'm going to tell a joke here in a second, and you're supposed to just laugh uncontrollably, okay? Now, I've already told this joke before, and it's, it's nothing new, okay? All right, got it? I told you that my wife likes to read. Did you know that? Did you know that? Okay, you're not, you're not responding. Apparently, I'm going to be here at midnight. Okay, so my wife loves to read. She always says, readers are leaders. And I'm not the greatest reader, okay? So I'll let you go with that. So she's reading this book, and I said, Lynette, is it helping you? And she says, yes, it's been a tremendous help to me. I said, really? She says, oh, yes, one of the best books I've ever, re- I've ever read. I said, that's wonderful. And then, out of nowhere, she gets up and gives me a huge bear hug. That kind of like squeezes the life out of you. So tight you can barely breathe. And I'm like, what was that for? She says, well, the book I'm reading told me to embrace my mistakes. (laughs) So, (laughs) Okay, that didn't really happen, but. She's like, well, it probably is true. (laughs) All right, tonight, very quickly, we will preach on something entitled, A Simple Reminder. A Simple Reminder. Reminder. So what's the title? All right, we moved to 11 o'clock. We're doing good. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. And let's read it together. And you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins, where in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh, and the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as as others. But God, who was rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us, and when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace ye are saved." Verse 6, and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And may the Lord add blessings to the reading of his word. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Thank you for loving us. Lord, I ask forgiveness right now for the many things that I think, say, and do that break your law. Lord, I need your help. I have a lot on my mind, a lot on my heart. And uh, I ask that you just keep me pure before you, that you'd help hide me behind the cross. Give me the words to say, Lord, that I might impact others. And I don't know who's listening by radio, by the internet, by Facebook. I don't know. But you do. I know this message is for someone tonight. Touch that heart. In Christ's name, amen. All right, point number one. Point number one. The world hopeless without Christ. What is point number one? It is? All right, you're moving up. We're going to get out of here in good time. Now, Ephesians chapter 2, 1 through 3, Paul is describing the reality of every person on this earth. 
dead in our sin, destined to hell, without hope. Many people today have hope, but it's in the wrong things. Now, there's nothing wrong with money, correct? Now, for those of you that think there's something wrong with money, and you're struggling with it, give it to me. I'll take all of it. That'll take away all your problems, all your struggles. You won't have to worry about it anymore. You won't have to worry about the stock market. All of that. See how simple that is? Okay, no takers. So there we go. But our hope is not in finances. Because finances can come and go. We know that. Our hope is not in our health. Somebody the other day said, Coach, why don't you play basketball anymore? I said, well, I've got a problem with the vertebrae in my neck. i got bone spurs on my toe. I have a torn meniscus. Other than that, I'm in perfect, perfect health. I said, I don't want to be running halfway down the court and hear snaps and cracks like I'm eating Rice Krispie cereals. So I said, instead, I'll just sit here and, and I'll just keep score with the clock. And I hit the little horn button and that's fine by me. And I can walk, but maybe not. Play. So my hope is not in my health. I remember one time the boys, they were just little. And we were playing... Uh, soccer, competitive soccer, and we're going to go to a tournament. And so I asked one of them, I don't remember who, I said, why don't you lead us in prayer and God will give us safety as we go down. So they bow their head, and sweet and innocent, he starts praying, prays for safety, and then he says these words, Lord, help us win the tournament. And I'm thinking, win the tournament? We've gotten boat raced every single game. We're getting, like, destroyed. Win the tournament. We don't have a snowball's chance in Hades to win this tournament, is what I'm thinking. But he said it's so sweet, so innocent, so pure. And I thought to myself, you know, that's the world. A lot of the world, you know, I think sometimes we watch the news media and we think that all the world is horrible. Not everybody in the world is horrible. There's a lot of nice people out there. There's a lot of sweet people out there. The problem is, they're sweet and they're kind and they're innocent. But without Christ, they have no hope. And they're trying. They're really trying. There's people that honestly, every Sunday, they get up. They get dressed. They put on their nicest clothes. They put on cologne. Or they put on whatever they have. And they go. And they are honestly trying to get to God. The problem is, they're sincere. They are just sincerely wrong. And so Ephesians chapter 2 gives us a very dark picture of what life is like without Christ. I mean, just watch or listen or read the news. It's death, war, fighting, and dare I say the word. I don't even want to say it. Politics. I mean, honestly. Is anybody else sick and tired of politics? I mean, I, I'm glad we've got a lot of good politicians. We do. And they're good people. But I wish all of them would take a long walk off a short pier. My, my best friend. Okay, I know there's a lot of good people. I mean, how many of you have tired of political ads and they haven't even started yet? I mean, seriously. And it's always the same thing. In the second grade, he called his teacher a nana head. If you vote for this politician... You're voting for Satan. I'm like, okay, knock it off. 
Just tell me what you're going to do, yes or no. You're going to lie anyways and not do it. Here's the deal. Here, what's the problem? Problem is a lot of people in America are what? Putting their hope in the politics. Oh, if so-and-so just gets elected. I don't care who you elect. It's at the end of the day, our only hope is Jesus Christ. So never forget that the world is dying, lost, hurting from sin. They are hopeless. That ought to be in your heart when you go to the grocery store. That little person behind that cash register that messes up how much you paid for grapefruit. Don't go bananas on their head. Remember, they may not know Christ. They are hopeless. When you go to a restaurant, I'm sorry that they didn't make your mashed potatoes okay. As far as I can tell, no one in here is starving to death. Don't go nuts on that little waitress's head. And if you're going to, don't leave a gospel track, whatever you do. I go to some people and they leave the table like a war zone went off. I'm like, clean up your table. But that's what we pay the waiting waitress for. That's a very worldly philosophy. You ought to leave that restaurant in a better position than when you went. Why? Because if you leave a gospel track, don't let your disposition lead that person to hell to not read that track. You better start saying amen. I'll get there and say amen myself. That's good stuff. How you act, it matters. Why? The world's hopeless. They're hopeless. Think about what Romans chapter 3 verse 10 says. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are all together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Boy, this, think about this. Their throat is an open sepulcher. With their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of abs is under the lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. And the way of peace have they not known. Does that not sound like the world today? Amen. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that what things soever the law saith, and say it to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God is without the laws manifest, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, and to all upon all of them that believe, for there is no difference. Here it is. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Hearing these verses again remind me how desperate we are without Jesus Christ. The world's a mess. Without Christ, they are what, beloved? They are hopeless. Hopeless. Never forget that the world is acting like they have no hope. Why? Because they don't. Can I give you some help here? Stop acting surprised when the unredeemed act unredeemed. Sometimes we get all offended when people cuss in the grocery store. I'm like, what do you think they're going to do? Do you think they're going to witness to you? I hate to break the news to you. It's not the Walmart Baptist Temple. It's not. It's not Chili's Church. What are you looking at me like I got two heads for? It's the truth. You think every person that drives a car is saved? I mean, good night. It's bad enough in our church parking lot. 
I think sometimes we walk outside the church and we're all offended. I'm like, what are you offended for? You're living in a world full of sinners who are acting sinful, who talk sinful, who think sinfully. When I go to a ball game, people drink, and not, not our ball games, okay. Of course, sometimes the way we play, I think about drinking, amen. But you go to a Cleveland, what are they? Guardians. Someone said Indians. I can't say that word. Guardians. Or Browns game or Cavs, whatever. They're going to, why? It's the world. What are they going to play? The inspirations at the Cavs game? It ain't going to happen, I'm here to tell you. Why are we so surprised? Yes, we can be disappointed. Yes, we can be hurt. Yes, point number two, Christ, the hope for the world. Christ, the hope for the world. I say this all the time on the radio. The only hope for America is Jesus Christ. He's the only hope. Two words, six letters, but God. Ephesians chapter 2, 4 through 6. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love, wherewith he loved us, even when we are dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, but by grace ye are saved, and hath raised up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Paul moves from the gloomy picture in Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, to the beautiful image of hope, joy, and gladness found in Jesus Christ, which is our hope. What's the turning point from despair to God? But to hope, but God. The turning life from despair to hope to joy to gladness. Two words, six letters, but God. In Romans 5, 8, but God commendeth his love toward us. And that while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. Remember that hope that is found in Christ because of God's grace, mercy, and his love. Grace defined. And for the record, this is someone else's definition. They said grace is the free and undeserved help that God gives us to respond to his call. Grace is what God gives to a person when that person humbles himself and realizes his need and turns to Christ. He gives them grace. How about mercy? Someone once said, we deserve punishment, but God gives us mercy. Lamentations chapter 3. I love these verses. Matter of fact, Mary Kay loves these verses. This I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed, because His compassions fail not. They are new every morning, great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, saith my soul, therefore will I hope in Him. Harvest, you know what we need more of? We need more hope. Who is our hope? Jesus Christ. See how that works? See, David, you're talking about your Christians here. We don't need hope. Are you sure? Can I ask you a personal question? What was the last time you did something that you could not have done without God? Now don't say breathing. I know. I'm talking something besides that. Can you think of anything? Today? Yesterday? Last week? Two weeks ago? When was the last time you said, I couldn't have done that without God? I couldn't have done that without Christ in my life. If God hadn't stepped in, you know, beloved, maybe we don't depend on God as much as we think we do. 
Why aren't we seeing God do great things? And I'm not saying you're not. Maybe it's because you're not depending on Him to do great things. Don't you remember the stories of the olden days? How God would do unbelievable things and tons of people get saved and, and, and people turn their lives around and the church would be packed? I think that could happen today, but I think all of us, including myself, we get so comfortable, we don't need God anymore. Don't forget about your hope, beloved, your hope. Don't you love it when someone gives you mercy? Coaching basketball. There's been times I've wanted mercy. Have you ever heard of a fire alarm game? Does anybody know what a fire alarm game is? Any guesses? It's when you're getting beat so bad you would wish someone would pull the fire alarm. And brother, I've been there. I've been in some games where we're getting absolutely boat raced. And I'm thinking I can either fake a heart attack or a seizure. I wish I was anywhere except standing at this gym as we're getting smoked. I remember one game, we get down by 20. We get down by 30. We get down by 40. We get down by 50. And I'm like, dude, call off the dogs. And they're man to man and stealing the ball and doing laps and knocking us over and killing people. It was terrible. And I'm thinking, come on. Show a little mercy. I tell you what, you ask Christ for mercy, he'll give it to you. He'll give it to you. God is full of, he's full of mercy. Grace and mercy is awesome. But now you throw in love. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believed in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son to the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Isn't that beautiful? God gives us gracie, great gracie. Try that again. God gives us grace, God gives us mercy, and God gives us his love. Beautiful. Someone once said, a lot of people think of love as a feeling, an itch the heart can't scratch. But the love of God is much deeper than a feeling. His love is a decision. It's a choice. He made it to us. He expressed his action, the act of sending and sacrificing Jesus for our sakes. He did not demand, oh, this is good. He didn't demand that we climb up to him. Christ descended down to us. He's not a God of indifference or unconcern. Woo! Isn't that good? Isaiah 53, surely... He hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did seem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of his peace was upon us, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Remember, beloved, his love caused his son to weep, to bleed, to suffer. He left the riches of heaven to come to be the poorest of poor here on earth. That's hard for me to wrap my mind around. Why would God do that? Because he loved us. Hebrews 12, 2, looking at Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has set down the right hand, the throne of God. Christ is the hope for the world. He's the hope for the world. 
So number one, the world hopeless without Christ. Number two, Christ the hope for the world. And number three, this is real deep now. I wrote this myself. Christ, He is hope. He is hope. You know, Brother Lee, you know what those people in jail need hope. They need hope. And can I tell you something I love, my dear friends? Just be careful what stones you throw at people. You don't know what they're going on in their life. You don't know what they've been through. You don't know the burden they've had. I was privileged to be raised in a Christian home where I knew without a shadow of a doubt when I laid my head down at night that my mom and dad loved me. There are millions, I dare say billions of people that don't know that feeling. I knew that when my father took his last breath on January the 4th, right around 1 o'clock, 2021, 22, 22, where he woke up. He's in heaven at this very moment. His faith is real. He sees his Jesus. He's worshiping him. And I know that. I have hope. And it's not a hope like I hope we win or I hope I get that. It's a hope. It's a blessed hope. It's a pure hope. I know. I think about that as I go to the store. I'm not always perfect, but I try my best, my very best to be patient with people. Because I just wonder what they're going through. My wife is probably the greatest reminder of that to me. She'll tell me all the time, you know, David, you know what they're going through. She'll also say, you know, David, what do you know of that person? Are they really a mean person? Well, no, not really. Do you think they really meant to hurt your feelings? Well, no. Do you think they got up that morning and said, I'm going to hurt David Wyatt today? No, probably not. I know what she wants to say. Stop acting like a two-year-old and get over it. And she says that too sometimes. (laughs) And I need to. You know what, beloved? Christ, he is hope. But sometimes I walk around like I have no hope. And then I wonder why the world doesn't want what I have. Because I'm showing them that I have no hope. Beloved, what does your face tell people when you go out? How do you act at the store? Look, I know that not everyone's got to be your best friend. And I understand that. But can I tell you something? In total love, get over yourself. In love. It don't sound like love. Really, it is. Because what if God treated you like you treat everybody else? You know what we deserve? David Wack deserves to burn in hell forever. There's nothing good in me at all. Oh, I can drum up some good things. But outside of Christ, I am nothing more than a filthy, rotten, stinking sinner. That's what I am. Just love on people. Give him grace. He is, I love this, he is our blessed hope. Titus 2.13. Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God, our Savior Jesus Christ. What is the blessed hope? Return of Christ. Now guess what, beloved? He's coming back. When he came the first time, he came as a little baby. He ain't coming as a little baby the next time. There's going to be nothing mild about Jesus Christ when he comes back. He's not going to come as some little, mild, meek little baby. Someone once said, I'm not sure it's very biblical, that Jesus is coming back and he's angry. 
And there's going to be a lot, of, a lot of reckoning going on when he comes back. But as Christians, we should what? Keep our priorities ready because we live with our bags packed, our life in order, and ready to give an account for our lives when we talk to our Jesus. You know why? It could be today. He's our blessed hope. He's our living hope, 1 Peter 1.3. Blessed be the God and Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope or the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Before Jesus came into our life, what hope did we have? Not much. You say, David, I had a great life. You may have, but it's only temporal. I mean, you could live a great life, have a wife, 19 kids, become a billionaire, and live in the nicest home around. But when life is over, that's it. There's nothing else. Don't, don't get me wrong. I would like to try to live with a billion dollars. That would be nice. Probably not going to happen. Of course, Sherathon's coming up in March. Who knows, you know? You never know, right? <laughs> it doesn't go to me anyways. Go to the I don't get a bonus. doesn't matter what we raise. Oh, David, you get a bonus this year. No. We'll make Christmas bonus, but not Sherathon bonus. I have no idea why I said all that. Okay, our living hope. You know, Peter was speaking of Jesus with first-hand experience. He knew, he saw, he watched. Jesus was his living hope. I mean, can you imagine the, uh, 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 Peter? You ever think about walking on water? I think about that a lot. It says, you know, Peter's walking, Jesus grabbed him. And I get weird thoughts. I know that surprises you. My ADHD kicks in. I'm thinking, like, did Jesus have, like, elasto arms? Like, reach out, how far do you reach? Was he right by the boat? If he was by the boat, how come Peter didn't grab on the boat? Did Jesus go on the water with him? You ever think about that stuff? No, nobody does. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Pastor Lewis. I appreciate that. I think about that stuff. Like, where was he on the boat? Well, I guess some of us aren't as spiritual as others. I don't know. He's my blessed hope. He's my living hope. He's my glorious hope. Colossians 1.27, To whom God made known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. God chose to make his revelation known, his son Jesus Christ, that would come not just to the Jews, but to the Gentiles, to all mankind. The hope of Christ doesn't just live. If you're born again, he lives in you. He's your hope. He's your joyful hope. Romans 5, 2. By whom also we have access by faith and to the grace wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. He's your reasonable hope. 1 Peter 3.15 But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. You know, Lee was telling me how he was talking to an individual and that person, I think they said, like, you know, one of their parents was Muslim, I think they said, and one was Christian. And he asked, you know, uh, Brother Lee, you know, what's the difference between the two? And Brother Lee was just honest with him. He said, you know, I'm not real sure about the Muslim faith. But he says, I do, and I'm paraphrasing here, I do know the real hope is, you know, talk to Jesus, ask him to show himself, and he will. And the man got saved. 
I think sometimes, you know, you get like me, you're afraid to talk to people. I mean, I've made a complete fool of myself going door to door before. I've, people have twisted me around. I'm like, I don't know about that. You know what I should just do? Open up the Bible and read it. Just read the Bible. Just quote scripture verses. Just pray for them. Because I'm telling you, God can do amazing things. Why? Because he's God. He's your reasonable hope. He is your purifying hope. 1 John 3, 3. And every man that hath this hope in him purify himself even as he is pure. Because we're saved, because we have Jesus, we're going to live a pure life. Now what does that look like? Talk to Jesus. Talk to God. And he will tell you. You know that saying, what would Jesus do? There's nothing wrong with asking that question. What would Jesus do? Or better yet, Jesus, what would you have me do? He's a stabilizing hope. Boy, I love this. Hebrews 6, 19. Which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the veil. As a Christian, our hope is sure, and he's rock solid. The Bible, God's unchangeable word, contains his will, his purpose. Because our hope is in Christ. And anchored in the Bible, we are not scattered every time a trial comes. We're not running around frazzled, unhinged. Why? Because our hope is steadfast. It's a sure anchor, and it is the word of God. I've never seen a time like this when people call themselves Christians. And then they live like they have no sense of direction. No calling, no purpose. You might have a time in your life where maybe you don't know what's going on. You're not sure. Can I tell you in life that should not be the norm? You shouldn't constantly be walking around. What do you do? I'm not sure. I don't really know. I don't think God wants us to live that way. I don't think God took the Bible and wrote it over 1,500 years, about 40 authors on three different continents, two languages, three languages, just so we could all walk around like a bunch of wingdings not going on. I don't believe that. I also don't believe the Bible's a bunch of gray area. I don't believe that either. I talked to a bunch of people, well, I'm not sure what the Bible says. I'm like, dude, you claim to study it all the time, and you don't know. I talked to some people, I've been studying the Bible years, and I just don't know what the Bible says about that. I'm like, do you mean to tell me you've read it for years and years and years, and God hasn't given you any hint at all what to believe? And here's another thing. Pastor Holmes, I think, said this. If not, we'll give him credit. Well, maybe. Maybe you might want to hear this first. <laughs> don't worry about what you don't understand. Do what you do understand. That'll cha- that will change your life right now. Do what you know you're supposed to do. I tell my basketball players that. Fake a pass to make a pass. Run the play, don't force the play. When someone passes you the ball, don't stand there like a bump in a pickle. Go get the basketball. Hustle on defense. Box out. Follow your shot. Follow through. It's not anything rocket science. But when we sit in there, pick at our nose, watch the guy shoot, we're not going to win the ball game, fellas. It's not rocket science. I probably shouldn't have said just pick at your nose in church, but you know what I'm saying. Spiritually, don't pick your nose, okay? Physically, too, but spiritually. You know, sometimes as Christians, 
We run our lives by our emotions. Can I tell you in love, that's a bad idea. Don't raise your hand. How many of you have not wanted to come to church sometimes? Pat, Dan, put your hand down. I'm just kidding. I mean, there's times I'm thinking to myself, man, if we were Presbyterian, we wouldn't have church tonight. You ever have those Catholic moments? I'm like, dude, let's go to church once a week and be done. I'm tired. I'm going to go home. Put my old grandpa clothes on. Put the little thing around my neck. Sophie kind of cuddles up my lap. I could be gone in minutes. But I'm here to tell you that every time I come to church, I'm glad that I did. I'm serious. With, a, with exceptions, a rare, a few exceptions. I mean, very rare. Like, sometimes on vacation we go to church, and I'm like, well, that was a waste of time. You don't know where I go, okay. But when I come, I'm like, man, I'm glad I come to church. I'm really glad I came. Okay, I better, this is my last sermon, so I better get through it. <laughs> very last one. He is my everlasting hope. Second Thessalonians 2.16 says, Now our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God, even our Father, which hath loved us, hath given us everlasting consolation and a good hope through grace. Isn't that beautiful? He's my everlasting hope. In conclusion... Number one, the world hopeless without Christ. Let that, let that kind of marinate in your heart as you go out in the world this week. That coworker, the grocery store, wherever you go, that that person waiting on you probably is not a Christ follower. They have no hope. Then remember that Christ is the hope for the world. And finally, Christ, he is hope. He's my blessed hope, my living hope, my glorious hope, my joyful hope, my reasonable hope, my purifying hope, my stabilizing hope, my everlasting hope. He is my hope. Beloved, if you're listening by Facebook, by radio, maybe the auditorium, and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, I'm here to tell you that he is the hope. He's what you're looking for. The Bible says, if you will A, admit that you're a sinner. What is a sin? A sin is anything I think, say, or do that breaks God's law. And we know what sins are. We don't have to think about it. So if you've sinned, that means that you are a sinner. So once you've sinned, we now have a problem. The Bible says, for the wages of sin is death. Meaning, and I'm not trying to be cute, 10 out of 10 people die. So someday you're going to die. Now when you die, the Bible says you'll go to one of two places. You'll either go to heaven, and I don't even like to say these words, it's just true. You'll go to hell, one or the other. Now once you've sinned, you now have a penalty. The death is sin, and the payment for sin, the wage, is death. Now, if it ended right there, we would all be in big trouble. But remember two words, six letters, but God. 
But God commendeth his love toward us, and that we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So if you will A, admit that you're a sinner, you B, believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins. History, if you look at it, a lot of historians believe there was a man named Jesus. He did live on this earth. He was even crucified. The difference is, do you believe he rose from the grave? The Bible says he does, and I believe that he did. So then you see, choose, confess. What am I confessing? What am I choosing? Confession really means that I am now changing my belief. I'm choosing to believe that it's only Jesus Christ. I can't get there by baptism. I can't get there by communion. I can't get there by by good works. I can't get there by church attendance. It's only through Jesus Christ. I am confessing that. I am saying, Jesus, it's you only. I'm putting my full trust in you. It's a changing of mind. That is salvation. And I would venture to say that somebody listening, either in the auditorium, by Facebook, by radio, has not made that decision. And it is my prayer that you'll get saved even now. The Bible says that today is the day of salvation. Don't put it 